Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. And that legal system is, is nothing if not nuanced. Uh, as spectators in, in the general public, we become very familiar with certain terms and probably feel that we have a pretty strong understanding of, of you know, these basic elements of the law. Um, so today, let's test that. We're going to see just how much we, we know as we welcome our outstanding resource on criminal law, Attorney James Dore. And we're going to discuss today domestic battery. Uh, welcome again to Liberty and Law. I'm your host, Jim Mitchell. And you know, for the next quarter hour, uh, James Dore and I will try to provide a, a better understanding of this uh, this important element of the legal system that, that we hear about. But as I said, we'll find out how much we really know about. So, uh, James, good afternoon. Welcome back to another discussion. Good afternoon, Jim. I'm uh, looking forward to this episode of Liberty and the Law. And I, I think let's establish up front that um, there's probably a, a number of different classifications and types of battery, uh, but our focus today is just on domestic battery. Now, how, how does the judicial right. the system define that offense? Well, the the main difference between a, a between a, what would be a, a simple battery, a regular battery, or a domestic would be the classification of a household member. So because of the uh, legislature has chosen to uh, treat household members different than the public at large, a little extra protection, uh, that mm-hmm. would be the, the main difference between this domestic battery law and then another typical battery um, you know, statute that would be out there on the books. And, and you use the term household member, so we're not even right. talking just about spouses. This is anybody who sort of shares a residence. Right. Uh, over time, uh, these the statutes have evolved. It would have originally been spouses, uh, meant to protect the wife from the husband. Um, mm-hmm. But as time has progressed, uh, the legislature has decided to add other household members into that classification or, or deserving of that protection. So it would include parents, children, stepchildren, um, dating relationships, and it's even expanded so far as to include uh, personal assistants and caregivers in the home, um, they would be under that umbrella uh, for protection as well. Okay. And so I think we've defined what domestic means. Um, battery, this is one of those things we probably think we know, but, again, from a legal perspective, what, what really constitutes battery in this case? Okay. For, for the domestic, there can be, um, it can be charged two ways under the, the, the basic statute. One is when there's bodily harm, so that would be knowingly and without legal justification causing bodily harm to a household member. And the second would be, um, it wouldn't necessarily need bodily harm, but we need some kind of physical contact. So it would be physical contact of an insulting or provoking nature with a household member. So there's two ways that they can uh, charge a domestic battery under the Illinois statutes for the, for the misdemeanor level. Okay, and and you now here you've led in the next question. You mentioned uh, uh, misdemeanor level. Are, are all domestic battery charges pretty much the same in severity, or are there different levels of offense here? Um, yeah, there would be, be basic. Uh, there would be different levels depending on certain things. And again, legislature has chosen to uh, take certain domestic battery cases and enhance them to a felony level offense um, based on uh, you know what kind of harm was done based on the, the victim uh, in particular 
or whether or not the defendant has had prior contacts with the law, prior domestic batteries, um, things like that can escalate. There's, there's, there's a whole host of them that, you know, statutorily that can pump us up into the felony category, but um, most of those are predicated upon prior uh, criminal behavior, either a domestic battery itself or uh, a similar charge that the legislature has chosen to treat in a similar classification. Is there, any, yeah, is there any um, classification variance there for uh, uh, abuse that have or a battery that occurs from an adult to a to a child to a minor in in the residence as well? Uh, it would be an aggravating uh, circumstance, certainly. In fact, one of the ways to enhance uh, a domestic battery to the felony level would be if that um, if it took place in front of a child in the residence. Mm, so that would okay. be a, a way of enhancing it. And usually when there's a, a child victim, there's other statutes that would come into play besides just that domestic battery. Um, Got it. Because, you know, okay. because of the nature of the victim. Yeah. But okay. it certainly so, would fit no. under the umbrella if one of the charges would be a domestic battery. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about this now, and, and whether it's you know misdemeanor or felony, um, as you start to talk about bringing a case like this to the court, you know, what are the ramifications? What does the uh, offending party, the defendant, um, stand to face in terms of what the court may may sentence them with if they are, in fact, found to have been guilty of something? Sure, sure. Well, sentencing uh, alternatives here, a judge would be, for a Class A misdemeanor, um, the sentence would be 364 days in the county jail and a $2,500 fine. That's the maximum sentence. Um, one thing to keep in mind with jail time with domestic batteries is if somebody's charged under the bodily harm element uh, of the statute, that person would not get day-for-day credit in jail, in the county jail. So they would be serving full days instead of getting a day off or day credit mm-hmm. for each day you're in there where you serve half your time, you're serving the entire time. So it's something to keep in mind. It's one of those that people may not know about domestics. That's one of those. You're, you're, if you get um, the bodily harm element, you're serving the entire time. Now, if you, we talked to you about um, things like uh, DUIs and, and some of the other uh, criminal categories that, that you uh, work with, is this one of those instances where if someone is found guilty even of a misdemeanor, um, and they serve their time or pay their fine or maybe do some counseling that then ultimately this is something that can come off of their record and they can start clean at some point? Well, here's the problem with domestic batteries. As a, as a sentencing, for, in terms of sentencing, a judge is not allowed to uh, enter a sentence for what's called court supervision. Now, the benefit of court supervision would be that if somebody completes, you know, the defendant completes their sentence, they would be, um, there would be no conviction on that person's record, Okay. Now, a problem with domestic battery and not having court supervision as a as a possible sentence means that upon a plea of guilty or a finding of guilty, a conviction would enter on a person's record. So that's something to keep in mind as opposed to, say, a simple battery that we start our conversation with. You uh-huh. can get court supervision for a simple battery. So the same contact with a stranger, eligible for supervision. Uh, contact with a household member would not be eligible. So that's the, that's the main one of one of the things that we to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking with Lavelle Law Attorney James Dorr uh, today, and and he joins us each month on Liberty and the Law. 
uh, our discussion today focuses on domestic battery. Um, to learn more about James's practice and various elements of criminal defense, because we can never cover them all in the time we get here, uh, be sure to visit LavelleLaw.com. Uh, we've been building a, a very nice collection of podcasts with, with James, and, and you can download those from LavelleLaw.com or iTunes. Um, and it it's becomes a great resource um, uh, across this entire area of law. And, and I'm, I'm kind of getting the clear picture in talking to you today that, that domestic battery, you know, carries very significant consequences. Um, it's sort of a unique uh, segment of the law. So tell me where you start when you have a, uh, uh, a client who is charged with domestic battery. How, how does your defense process begin? Right. Well, at the start of the process, the, the first, my first source of information is always going to be my client. I sit down, interview my client, and I get all the facts, everything my client could think of, you know, that's the start of it. Okay. Then the next step would be once we get to court and I file my appearance and the state's attorney knows that I'm the attorney of record, um, I can make demands for discovery, production of police reports, any evidence that the prosecutors want to use at trial potentially would need to be disclosed to the defendant ahead of time, you know, provided we ask for it at court. So I would ask for whatever they have. Um, and they would be given an opportunity to review police reports. And it, like I said, there could be physical evidence, there could be uh, you know, weapons, there could be photos of injuries, uh, what have you. So we get a chance to go over that, that evidence with my client. Again, we, we look at everything and decide what is our best option going forward. Um, sometimes that's trial, sometimes that's negotiating with the state's attorney's office to see if there's some sort of uh, uh, you know, mutually agreed upon outcome that we can come up with short of going to trial. Mm-hmm. And in cases like that, I'll be looking to ask the state's attorney uh, to consider uh, uh, reducing the charge to a simple battery rather than going forward on a domestic battery, because that way, you know, court supervision is an option. Um, and that, that, you know, to keep that conviction off my client's record would be, you know, one of, one of the top priorities in a case like this. Yeah. That could be and done I, I through either beating that. the charge outright. Go ahead, go ahead, Jim. I'm sorry. I was just saying, I want to, because you mentioned negotiating. I just want to catch you there because it, uh, I assume that okay. prosecutors probably take these charges pretty seriously. Do you find it more difficult to negotiate in these cases than you do perhaps in others? Well, not necessarily more difficult, but the, the prosecutor, you're absolutely right. The prosecutor takes these cases seriously. Um, mm-hmm. But the prosecutor also will be looking to gather as much information as that prosecutor can. So, if I can present evidence to the prosecutor that this may not be the strongest case or my client is, you know, an upstanding citizen with a long track record of good works, no criminal behavior, things like that, I want to bring them to the prosecutor's attention. And, you know, in cases like this, you know, a lot of people think that the victim in a case can just go to court and have the case dropped. Well, that's not the case. In specifically, the state's attorney's office takes over the prosecution of the case and what's commonly known as dropping the charges, will not be done uh, unless a state's attorney's office decides that's what they want to do with the case. So they, they, they will take into account their, their victim's uh, uh, wishes, but they don't have to dismiss a case. So you know, it's, it's, it's something to think about with these domestic cases that you know, once the call is made and the police arrive, they have to make an arrest if they find some you know, the domestic had occurred. And then and on the other side of it, you know, the, the the victim in the case can't drop the case. So there's a few things that bring it almost immediately out of the control of the, the victim in the case and put the matter in the hands of law enforcement and then the prosecutor's office. 
And, and when you talk about some of the different circumstances, I, I've talked to some of your colleagues at Laval Law in the past on the family law side about orders of protection when there are people who are concerned for their safety with, with a family or a household member. Um, are you in a different circumstance uh, as a defense attorney if there has been an order of protection put in place in a particular uh, relationship already? Right. I mean, I'll, I'll, it's essentially the same form and the same type of, of, of remedy in that order, that protective order. Mm-hmm. In a criminal case, you know, it, we have to keep in mind that we're facing, you know, potentially even felony charges in, in cases. And for the defendant in both matters to take the stand um, it may not be in his best interest at that point, right, to dispute the order of protection when you're really, you know, you care more about the criminal charge itself. Um, mm-hmm. But on the flip side, the complaining witness in a criminal case would also need to take the stand and testify for these orders of protection. In that case, she would be subject to cross-examination. Uh, it's, it's testimony that's given under oath, and that testimony can be, it will be transcribed. It, there's a transcript of the, uh, you know, events in court. So there'd be an audio uh, recording, possibly a transcript from a court reporter. And those, those things can be used against that person if there's something different in a future testimony, you know, something comes out that's different than what she said at this hearing, hey, we have a transcript. So it's, it's a good uh, investigative tool uh, for the defense attorney to kind of give us a sneak peek on what the uh, witness has to say ahead of time. Well, I'll uh, go back to one of our past conversations, and I'll use, I guess, what we referred to at one point as a, as a leading question here. But uh, as we're about to run out of time, uh, sometimes people get a, a traffic ticket or some other minor citation, and they just go to someone they know that's an attorney and say, hey, can you help me with this? Am I right to assume that with domestic battery, you really want someone who knows how to deal with domestic battery as opposed to just a, a general law practitioner? I think that's fair to say. I think that's fair to say in most aspects of law that the attorney who's familiar on a day-to-day basis with that law is going to be a, a, a little more capable to handle that case, um, have a better relationship with the prosecutors, he'll know the prosecutors, be able to approach them and say, hey, this case is like one we've had before. We can uh, always have a, a personal working relationship to, to draw from. So I think it's important to have that, to, to know the prosecutors, to know how the judges rule, the tendencies, um, you know, that, that, that sort of thing helps in the case. Well, it helps have James Dorr with us. He joins us each month here on Liberty and the Law. We thank him for his time today and look forward to uh, sharing his experience and knowledge again and having you join us for a future edition. Well, thanks very much for being here.